Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Hi, Rory. Uh, nice to see you again. Cheyenne. It's very nice to see you. Thanks, mate. So, Rory, I'm really interested to hear how's things going on your end? What's been happening with me? I feel like I always talk about sport or exercise whenever it comes to these conversations, but that's literally other than working and doing a lot of report comments and assessing at this time of the year. I'm four weeks out from the Gold Coast Marathon and putting in some serious hours on the track. But luckily, it's a down week this week, so I haven't been doing as much running. And there's no long run this weekend, which is good. But I'm very excited to get up to the Gold Coast. That's amazing. I'm, what I'm curious, Rory, what's, what's your number one strategy now for persisting during challenge? To be honest, I structure my runs mostly after school because I see the run as a way to defrag at the end of the day. I did attempt a run before school last week, and it really was tough. I find it so much harder to run in the mornings. So I think all my runs from now on will be, unless it's the weekend, blocked in after school because I put my earphones on, podcast, and it just helps defrag after a long day in the classroom. It's so important, isn't it, the timing of an activity and and whether or not we engage with it. So. um... Some people love the exercise in the morning, and I don't mind it when I don't have other things to do immediately after, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you? How's it going? Uh, Good. I've been a little bit quiet the last few weeks. My wife, daughter, and I have been on an adventure. We took our three-year-old daughter to Phuket in Thailand. We went to Fiji last year, and that was a pretty safe experience, but we wanted to challenge ourselves and take our daughter over to Phuket and actually do some activities outside of the resort and wander the streets, et cetera. And give her a bit more of an authentic kind of experience. So we're slowly working towards perhaps doing Everest Base Camp with her or something like that. Um, <laughs> but Sending her small. off to do it herself when she's seven. Started small. But one of the things that really popped out for me was we took her to, um, I think it was the Green to Elephant Sanctuary, where sort of, you know, no chains, no riding elephants. Uh, you, you go basically and you feed the elephants and you give them a wash and, and a mud bath, et cetera. And, and just to watch her initially be really scared of them and cling to me and me feeding the elephant. And then I've got these videos that almost show like this staged breakdown of fear. Yeah. So within kind of 10 minutes, her like standing, getting a banana out of the bucket and going up to the elephant and just feeding the elephant straight up out of her hand. And only 10 minutes earlier, she wouldn't let go of me. When you have young children, and this is still new for me, you start to experience the world through their eyes in a strange way. And it's still very new to me. Um, so rather than being present <laughs> and really enjoying the elephant experience that I was blessed with, I was just kind of watching her the whole time and seeing how she was experiencing it. Yeah. And I just think that's that's beautiful. So anyway, yeah, that's where we've been. I suppose there's a bit of a conflict as well between you not wanting her to feel too nervous or too fearful, but also wanting to put her into a situation where she does feel a bit nervous and a bit fearful to get used to that feeling. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a, a big fan of trying to encourage her courage and develop that bravery within her to take risks and to recognize that with risk there's you know there's beautiful learning opportunities so there's reward yeah so rory we've got lots to talk about today so listeners today we're actually we've been um, umming and ahhing about what today's topic should be and we wanted to talk about our approach or at least discuss and share our approach to reading now this is not an episode about the science of reading, we want to make that clear because we know the science of reading is also quite a hot topic and there's a big debate around the yeah. science of reading that Rory and we, I don't we want don't to get into. We don't want to get into that debate today. 
<laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about approaches to reading and self-regulated learning, or at least the self-regulated learning perspective on reading, using ourselves as learners and also classroom examples here. So I guess to kick us off, Rory, really interested to hear sort of what is your general approach to reading, professional reading? How do you build in time for it? Okay, I'm going to be completely honest. I truly value professional reading and I find myself doing a lot of structured professional reading on my holidays. I do try to do professional reading during term time when I can, but I feel like at the moment, and I'm keen to get your viewpoint on this, at the moment, given the busyness of my schedule, that professional reading for me as something that I do outside of school is actually quite a bit of a challenge, no matter how much I structure my time. But the goals that I set are actually around doing things like reports, assessing work, things like that. But when I do do professional reading, I'm always trying to think about the applications to the classroom for myself or the applications to other staff if I'm reading to run a meeting or a professional development day. One of the things that I like to do whenever I read is to make notes as I read, but just on a post-it note, because I'm not reading to study. I'm not reading to make notes to pass an exam but I am reading to remember. So I suppose you would call it a, an elaboration strategy, but as I'm reading something, like I'm reading Kate Jones's retrieval practice for primary teachers at the minute, when I'm reading that, if there's something that I come across that I think is valuable, I make a personalized note of just a sentence or two and stick it on a post-it note and stick it into the book so that the, this post-it note sticks out. And I think that that little bit of elaboration of where I think it could apply to my teaching or where it could apply to the staff that I'm trying to work with on retrieval practice, I think that enables me to remember the information more because I've made the connection to somewhere else that I could potentially use it. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic strategy. And I think that's a great strategy for, for any learner to use when they're reading. I do have a question, Rory, to go perhaps back a step. And perhaps this is tapping into your motivational value for professional reading. Why is it important to you as a professional to read professional literature? I just think that one of the challenges with education, but also one of the things that makes it so interesting of a, a career or a, an area to work in is that the amount of knowledge that you need to be competent in all of the areas that uh, are related to teaching early, to teaching and learning are really vast. So I feel like as a teacher, you've always got to be reading something to develop in some area of your professional practice. So it could be assessment, it could be teaching strategies or like instructional strategies. It could be something to do with self-regulated learning. It could be something to do with building positive relationships. It could be an aspect of coaching that you're trying to improve in. Whatever area interests you, whatever area you feel like you're deficient in or you don't know enough about, and there's probably many for most teachers, or there's probably a few for most teachers, then professional reading, I think, is a really useful and valuable way to kind of gain that information. Fantastic. Are they usually practitioner books then, typically, for you? Typically, I wouldn't be the best reader for pleasure because, again, that would be that would be holidays. So I have a Better Conversations book that I'm reading to support my teacher coaching. And then I have a retrieval practice book, which is Kate Jones, that I'm using for we're actually working on a University of Queensland project at the minute to develop teachers' ability to use retrieval practice in the classroom. And so I'm reading that to try to build my expertise 
in using retrieval practice strategies in the classroom. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so it yeah. sounds like your choice of books then typically have some sort of clear alignment to your practice. Yes. And you've chosen or, them for that reason, right? Yeah. So whether it's a need to do with something that I'm doing at school or it's an area that I'm specifically interested in, with a view to then introducing that in school somehow. If you can get a professional reading text and know that you like to do this, if you can get a, a text that transcends both professional reading and kind of personal values, those are the ideal kind of books. And I know that that's something that based on a few of your Instagram posts, you are aiming to do. Would that be fair to say, or is that not an intention of yours? No, I, I think you're, you're on the money there because I, I think there's a lot of crossover between what might fall under personal and professional development literature and teaching instruction. And I think more often than not, perhaps books around teaching instruction have a certain flavor to it. I've I've been getting a little bored with educator books lately just because there is a there's a recipe for it. Recipe, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to dabble with this kind of notion of reading books outside of education that I can think about what their application in education might be, if any. What's really interesting about what you said is that, you know, there is different types of books and perhaps reading material that we can engage in as professionals and often that changes based on need. There was a time when I used to read a lot of practitioner books and what's really interesting for me, when I stepped into leadership and have progressed into the space that I'm in now, it's less practitioner books and it's more journal articles, future of education, white papers, etc. And so I now have to have this sort of balanced view between what's the future potentially going to shape up like yep. and what's the current state for the recommendations that experts or specialists in the field are recommending for practice and starting to generate it. So for example, World Economic Forum or OECD, you know, when I'm reading things like that and they're talking about a learner agency in 2030, practitioner books today may not have recommendations or advice for problems of 2030 or beyond. And yep. so as someone who's perhaps I've started to view myself as a creator, I have to think about, okay, if that problem exists, how would I solve, how I solve it? it? So I have to start generating those recommendations, generating some of those solutions and then piling those in practice through my own teaching, but also with schools and teachers that I work with. And so I guess those are what would ultimately end up in a book for practitioners, but for now, they're just ideas that have to be tested. And so that's really interesting to think about the the nature of the material that we engage in and how that influences our own needs as practitioners. But you were saying too, as a full-time practice, finding the time to read is a challenge. How do you find the time in your day for professional reading? Currently, I have kind of two approaches, two core practices. One is that I start my day with a block in my schedule for 30 minutes of professional reading. I actually stayed journal article because yep. I really wanted to read and engage with most recently published articles yes. yep. and make sure that I'm across what is or could be deemed cutting edge research. And so understanding that, you know, I was reading an article yesterday about how online trace data or learner analytics can be used to measure self-regulated learning. I'd never even thought of that. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like I start to collect ideas and information like that. And I look for patterns across articles and synthesize that in a way that it can have meaning for me and for others. That's what I do every day. So it just as a really simple practice, just 30 minutes, I set a timer and I just read what I can. It's, it's hard to read a full journal article in 30 minutes. So, yeah. you know, that might be the abstract. 
part of the introduction, maybe part of the discussion or conclusion. And typically every evening I try, and I say I try, we've spoken about self-regulated learning being in practice. <laughs> um, I set a timer for 10 minutes and I read, and it could be professional reading, it could be personal reading. There's a real gray area for me between the two because they t- typically all influence the way I think as an educator and a learner. That's actually given me some food for thought because I always, especially during term time, I wish that I could do more professional reading. And I almost have this kind of fixed mindset, if you will, that I need to be reading for half an hour or an hour in order for it to have impact or value. And to hear that you say, oh, I just read for 10 minutes. And in my mind, I have made the decision that 10 minutes is not valuable. And you saying that it's confronted that idea in my mind, because everybody can find 10 minutes in their day. No matter how busy I am, I could find 10 minutes to read. You've inspired me. Thanks, mate. Well, I'm going know, to make a funny. change this week and find 10 minutes every day for professional reading. If I was full-time in practice, which I used to do this a little bit, and again, I say a little bit because it wasn't always consistent based on a school events, et cetera. But I would try my hardest to, when I got into the office, rather than open my email, you know, really protect time. And I would go, okay, right, yeah, headphones in, timer on, and just for 10 minutes, like grab you know, the latest article that the principal had thrown across my desk or whatever it was and just read it. And I just think that puts you in a place of intention for the rest of the day just by getting that small win up front. I think it has, it has so much power. But, you know, there's other ways to read books too, right? Audio books these days, plenty of ways to find a strategy that suits you. And you know what? Maybe I need to reframe my understanding of professional learning a little bit because often when I'm in the car on the way down the road to school, I'll listen to an educational podcast Last week, I watched a YouTube video about explicit vocabulary instruction in preparation for a meeting that we did. So if I really looked granularly at the time that I spend across a week in terms of what I am accessing to update my professional knowledge, I would say I am getting in my 15 to 20 minutes every single day in one way or another. That's my second Eureka moment. The first one, <laughs> the first one was that 10 minutes counts no matter what. And the second Eureka moment was I, I don't have to be sitting at my desk with a textbook open or with a professional text open in order to be developing my professional knowledge. Absolutely. And maybe for you, Rory, and this is for all our listeners, as self-regulated learners, is thinking about the different modes in which we can develop professionally. And maybe we have a preference for some of those you know maybe you prefer to watch a youtube video with someone you know a specialist speaking about teaching vocabulary rather than read a book about it does one have more value than the other i'm not sure i I just think that they're they're different sources of information presented in different ways and i think the more that we start to think about our learning like that there's the opportunity to then share that with our students so that they don't just see learning as sitting in a classroom, doing questions, accessing a tricky text or accessing a science textbook or a maths textbook, that they could actually be accessing other things outside of their life that helps them work on using their time better or helps them work on being more intentional at the things that they do or doing breath work as a way to reduce stress or whatever it might be. There's all of these different, more holistic things that they could do to help them become a more effective learner. That's not just necessarily to do with retaining information. And the only people who are going to help them do that is teachers or parents, I suppose, 
unless they're having these conversations in their own spare social time, which they may, which they may, but that's definitely given me some food for thought. So with that in mind, Rory, I think we really want our listeners to walk away with some potential applications for the classroom here. You've mentioned the way you elaborate and annotate when reading and really thinking about explicitly teaching that in a classroom for our learners. We've yeah, spoken it's... about this sort of time management strategies and yeah. it's like blocking, time blocking for, for learning and, and reading perhaps, uh, which again could be explicitly taught to, to learners who are wanting to build in a reading routine. Yeah, well, that's something that we actually, we actually prescribe that as part of our home learning. So we would suggest that, or we do suggest, and we share this information with parents that children when they're at home should set a timer for 20 minutes and when they are reading for those 20 minutes they are doing nothing else they're not in front of the tv they're in their bedroom or wherever they might be so that's one way i suppose that we use a timer when we're at school so much of reading instruction actually has self-regulated learning strategies built into it one thing that everybody would be common with is coming across a, a, a tricky word whenever you're reading if a student is able to acknowledge that as a tricky word and then use strategies that we would explicitly teach i'm sure most primary school teachers do this they might suggest that the students reread around the word so before the word after the word look inside the word for maybe a root word that they can use to define the word or give it meaning i would go out on a limb to say that that is potentially use of a help-seeking strategy to help them with a comprehension challenge. So in reading, they may be comprehension monitoring as they read, realize that there's a tricky word and do something to help themselves. I see that as a really successful self-regulated learning process, but it would might fall under the guise of just reading instruction. I don't know how you view that. Yeah, well, you know, all these things come together in the self-regulated learning process. I think this is one of the challenges with self-regulated learning being such a broad term, an umbrella term, is that reading and how we regulate our reading process or processing information falls underneath that umbrella. So it's easy, yeah, as you said, it could fall under the umbrella of of reading instruction, but it has connections to self-regulated learning. And it's just about us making those connections explicit. And I think that that's something that can help teachers a lot in a journey to support students to become more self-regulated is that there's probably places all across their instruction where there's at least the intention to support self-regulated learning. It just might not be happening explicitly. And so being able to find those areas and then be really explicit to enable the learners to go and use those strategies by themselves is really just a small adjustment in instructional practice. And I know that I still really struggle with this all the time and often think, am I just focusing on instruction, pedagogy, or am I explicitly teaching a self-regulated learning strategy? And I have to almost self-check a lot of the time to make sure that I'm doing both. Yes, and that's what makes you a self-regulated practitioner. Most of the time. Most of the now, time. on that on that note, the time is up, Rory. So, as always, it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, as <laughs> always, Shai. And thanks to everybody for listening. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it, or subscribe. And if you have any questions, and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels 
which is Twitter and Instagram at Ed to Self Reg. As always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.